Welcome to the Christmas Countdown here on Daybreak Devotions. It's Wednesday, five days until Christmas. This is Pastor Mike Barnett from the McLeansville Baptist Church along with Pastor Gordy Cantrell on this edition of Daybreak Devotion. A wonderful Wednesday indeed. But no Wednesday's Word of the Week. Really? The only word that I want to give you today is holly jolly. That's two words. No, it's a hyphenated word. Oh, is it? Holly jolly. It is the way I say it. Holly jolly. Yeah, and sometimes I take the hyphen out and just holly jolly. Holly jolly. So can you have holly without the jolly? Yeah, you can have jolly without the holly, too. But when you've got both, you got got something. can't separate them. I'm with you. Well, there'll be other words that we can give today. As a matter of fact, when we get to our Bible study today, we're going to be talking a lot about devotion and what that means and how we can reclaim that. More will be said about that in a few moments. But again, welcome to today's edition. You know, yesterday we had a special inserted edition of Daybreak Devotion. We did. The conscientious and careful listener may have noted that there were some things said that didn't make sense. (laughs) Like, welcome to Tuesday, December the 13th, and uh, there are 13 days left until Christmas. Or December the 12th. Yeah, whatever it was. Yeah. But, uh, well, that was because that was originally recorded for last week. Yes. But it got played this week. Yes. Because we didn't want to lose it, and therefore it happened. There was too much goodness just to let it fall completely by the wayside, but not enough time and opportunity to get it prepared for when it was originally recorded for. But also, I think it would be important to say that it was a Friday-esque, Friday Funday-esque style uh, episode, and so today we're going to do more, spend more time in the scriptures, which I know some of our listeners will appreciate. Others got a real joy going down memory lane yesterday. Hop back in the Wayback Machine a little bit. I, I don't know how many people really connected, though, with our uh, gifts that we... Probably more connected with mine and A.J. Bibbs than yours. Probably. But that's not your fault. No. You can't help when you were born. Nope, not one bit. But anyway, um, so really uh, what we're going to do today is going to be more of what I would say a topical discussion, but connected with Monday's broadcast. Now, on Monday, we talked about how to reframe our perspective and how Christmas can help us with that because we can get our minds back on what Christmas is about. This is a season that really feeds that and gives us that opportunity. And and we're going to talk about that today as well, but we're going to look at something different, kind of building off of reframing our perspective. Today, we're going to talk about how the Christmas season can help us reclaim our devotion, which is the next natural step once we have got our perspective back where it needs to be. When our heart is back fixed on God and not on the problems, the negativities or whatever, or even denial of problems, but we come back to just the truth of who God is and who Christ is and what Christmas is about, now we have a chance to reclaim some devotion. And again, we'll say more about it in, in, the, in the coming up moments, but first, first, what a great Christmas week it's been. Now, let me, let me start that statement over. What a great lead-in to Christmas week it's been. The reason I changed that is because I don't want to get off my campaign that Christmas has not yet arrived. Ah, yes. So I want to say that the proper way. What a great preparatory week for Christmas this has been. You know, we've had uh, our Christmas presentations at the church. Mm-hmm. Um, tonight, well, let me finish that thought, I guess. The, um, the, the choir did their presentation Sunday morning, and folks can listen to that. Yes, they can. On the McLeansville Baptist Church website. Uh, our children had their presentation Sunday evening. We gave out our Christmas treat bags. You know, that's a tradition. Mm-hmm. 
Have you ever been a part of a church ever in your life that didn't give out a treat bag for Christmas? I don't think so. Yeah, that's a that's a tradition. We should study that one, see how far that goes back. Now, I was thinking Sunday night when we gave the treat bags out, because I gave some to some of the little children, you know, and, and I was thinking, you know, there was a time. Matter of fact, I picked on our, our choir director, Pat Simpson, when I gave one to his grandson. I said, you know, your grandpa was around back in the days where that's all you got for Christmas was a uh, pieces of fruit and a couple pieces of candy, and you were thankful for it. Mm-hmm. Which then Pat commenced to tell me that, well, yeah, actually that that that's what it was when I was young, and and I got the full story. So I thought I was joking, but anyway, hasn't been that long. That's the stocking. So the stocking tradition, all that kind of stuff. But then uh, you know Bruce Fry is going to be here tonight yep. for our special Christmas singing and uh, and a night of just Christmas reflection. Again, all of this is part of the season, which is just given to us to prepare our hearts you know and I know it sounds cliche but to make room in our hearts to receive Christ you know there was no room in the end but make room in your heart it might sound cliche but it's actually there's a very uh a very helpful application of that that I think is good every year this time of year we said it Monday go back over the year that all that you've been through all the busyness, the summertime stuff, you talked about it Monday, getting children back in school, everything that's happened. And now we've got this month where we, we're we just, every time we turn around, we're being called to think about the coming of Christ. Mm-hmm. So this is a wonderful thing. Oh, let's not forget about the staff Christmas party yesterday. Christmas pizza and punch. It stunned you, didn't you? It, it did. You didn't know what to say when you first heard we were doing a staff Christmas party and the uh, the agenda was Christmas pizza and punch. Well, if I didn't know you as well as I do, I would have been more flabbergasted, much like one of our other staff members was at another get-together when Taco Bell was the menu item. And bless her heart, she almost fell out because she was like, what, you're, you're recommending Taco Bell? As a menu, and now for the Christmas party, we're doing pizza, but it wasn't Domino's. Oh, no, no. Yeah. That's junk food. Yeah. But we had Christmas pizza, okay? So we had uh, Mele Kalikimaka. That is Hawaiian. You were going to say that. I was going to say that's Hawaii's way. Yeah. Uh, and then, and of course, that was Hawaiian pizza, mm-hmm. but it was a Christmas pizza. And then we had Feliz Navidad pizza, which is a, a Mexican pizza. And then we had an Italian pizza, Bon Natale pizza. Oh. Yeah, good stuff. You act like you're surprised by that. You were there, weren't you? I was there. <laughs> but I'm not the type that always asks what's in what I'm about to eat. Oh, I see. I just eat it and then ask questions later. How did you like that lime punch? It was festive. <laughs> well, speaking of festive, and then last night we had a little um, men's gathering. Yeah. Uh we call it the Code of Man uh, here at the church. There's a few of the fellows that are participants in that, and we had a little Christmas bash. And the theme, uh, as far as, notice how all the themes have to do with what we're eating, but it was Christmas chips and dip and your favorite festive brew. That was the party last night. It was a swinging time. <laughs> uh, we leave the uh, interpretation to all the listeners. Write us at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com. It's almost one of those things. People are just going to have to come participate. I wish they would. Like, if we've got some, some men in the church that's listening right now that's like, you know, they, they talk about that code stuff all the time. Well, I wonder what all really goes on. Invitation is always open. All you got to do is just ask, stop on by. Yeah, but I, I was thinking that they might be a little more concerned about what that Christ, festive Christmas brew was. Oh, that's like brew ha 
Oh. Well, anyway, uh, how's have you had any family Christmas highlights yet? I mean, highlights to us, but we haven't had any of our, like, extended family gatherings and uh-huh, stuff. Uh-huh. But, I mean, we've had our uh, annual elf viewing, which took place over the weekend. Yeah, we and, heard uh, about that. Yeah. Great time. Great time. My, my oldest is finally developing the, the appreciation of the classic nature of that movie. And uh, Hunter, he's, he's coming along. Elliot, care less. There's only a few scenes he likes. So uh, have you ever done the Elf on the Shelf? I know it's yes. controversial. I don't know why it's controversial, this but was, I just remember that was a controversial thing. This was the first year that the Elf... Didn't make it out of storage. Ah, but I was thinking in your household, you could actually get like Buddy the Elf as the elf on the shelf. Now that would be an awesome thing. I might get that for you for Christmas and put it in your office. Ah, oh, that would be that would be sweet. But uh, yeah, Elf on the Shelf. I got something to say about that a little bit later. Okay. Matter of fact, why don't we move on to that? So I've got something that I want to share with you. You know, yesterday we focused on. Gifts, our favorite toys at Christmas, uh-huh. and, I, and we've talked about this. We really left the ladies out because all those toys were kind of guy things. Uh-huh. So today, I've got something from the Pioneer Woman. Oh. I thought that would be nice. The Pioneer Woman uh, put out a little article on um, some some fun Christmas facts. Okay, so this is coming straight from the Pioneer Woman. Only thing I know about the Pioneer Woman is she cooks food and has made a lot of money doing it and oh. sells. About to say, kitchenware. I just know her for selling kitchenware. Does she actually cook it too? I think I saw her on TV doing something one time. Oh. Well, anyway, here's a few fun facts. Did you know that Santa Claus has his own Canadian postal code? I did not. Yep, those letters to Santa don't always go unanswered. That's good news. In Canada, the postal code H-O-H dash O-H-O. Ho, ho, ho is designated for Santa at the North Pole. Every year, Canadian children can send their letters to this address to receive a personalized reply from Santa through Canada Post Santa Letter Writing Program, eh? Hey. Well, that explains a lot of why they're happier up there. Got that right. Yeah. Anyway, Jingle Bells was originally a Thanksgiving song written by James Lord Piermont in 1857 for his church's Thanksgiving concert. So, see, that's, that's, a, that's a sacred song. Yeah, but I've I've shared this fact before. I just want to say I don't remember that about Jingle Bells. I remember about over the river, over the, the river. Woods. Yeah. yeah. Uh, however, over the years, it became more closely associated with Christmas. Of course, because Christmas now starts in September. Why wouldn't it? Jingle Bells was also the first song ever played in space. December the sixteenth, nineteen sixty-five, the song was broadcast during NASA's Gemini Six Alpha space flight. According to Guinness World Records. Now, I wonder who paid that $8,500 to get that fact. 17000 No, remember, they've had two records they had to be certified. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, in Japan, you'll like this one. In Japan, it's tradition for people to enjoy Kentucky Fried Chicken on Christmas. Huh. A Kentucky Fried Christmas. What started as a marketing campaign by KFC, Christmas commercialism again, in the 70s, has evolved into a widely adopted tradition of eating a bucket of KFC chicken to celebrate Christmas. Oh, the irony. People in the States, a lot of times we eat Japanese and Chinese food on Christmas when they burn the holiday turkey, and those restaurants are the only ones that are open on Christmas Day. And in Japan, they flip the script and say, we're eating stateside food. Well, if Rudolph had not been named Rudolph, 
What would you have named him? I, I don't know. Originally, other possible names were Rolo and Reginald. Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, Rolo uh, kind of flows off the tongue. Rolo the red-nosed reindeer, but Reginald sure doesn't. <laughs> it had been shortened to Reggie. Uh, do you know, and I don't want to bring up any trauma, the first Rockefeller Center Christmas tree was actually small. Huh. It was an undecorated tree at Rockefeller Center in 1931. Now, these days, the famous tree features more than 50,000 multicolored LED lights. That's nearly five miles of lights. We saw that tree one time in West Virginia. <laughs> you saw it last month. Yeah. Or earlier well, this month. That one was it was in its full grandeur, but we saw it on the back of the delivery truck. They were they were transporting it up to New York. And um forget which relatives we were visiting, but that was always the thing. That was the route that the tree always took to get to Rockefeller Center. And it I mean it was big on the back of the truck, but getting in Rockefeller Center and seeing it up, it's like, Oh wow, that is a massive tree. Yes, it is, even from a distance, if you yes. can't get close. What would you guess is the highest-grossing Christmas movie of all time? We've talked about Christmas movies. Highest-grossing? Yeah. Home Alone. You know, Home Alone comes in second. Oh, wow. From 1990, Home Alone. Okay. The, the 2018 computer-animated The Grinch is the highest-grossing film of all time. Wow. $512,858,819 worldwide. Now, is that just total revenue, or is that like, like where you know where they can do those analysis where they're you know money in nineteen thirty would have been the equivalent of? Oh yeah, I, I think this is probably just dollar for dollar. Okay, I mean because you know that explains a lot of it. But let's be honest. That's why I was. That's why I figured it had to be something semi modern. But people are spending a lot more money on stuff like that these days too. Oh yeah. Uh, so one last one, and I'm going to do this one because I mentioned something about Elf on the Shelf earlier. Do you know the original Elf on the Shelf was named Fisby? Fisby. Fisby. I don't know what he's named now. Was it just Elf? I think you're supposed to be able to name your Elf whatever you want. Oh. Well, that seems more American. Anyway, the Elf on the Shelf was inspired by the creator's own toy Elf, Fisby, who they grew up with in the 1970s. And they told the Huffington Post that Fisby would report to Santa Claus at night and be back in a different position in our house the next day. There you have the Elf on the Shelf. Well, enough of that. I suppose we should get to the scriptures. Yeah, I reckon. Ah, yes. All right. Luke chapter 2 again today. We've looked at the angels and the shepherds, and we've talked about the wise men and their gifts. Let's look at some of the other key figures today. You can't really talk about the Christmas uh, story and the, the whole season without talking about Mary and Joseph. And then you got Simeon and Anna. And I want to pick up the reading in Luke chapter 2. This is after the wise men had came, but I want to I actually want to pick it up in verse 19 of Luke 2 because this particular verse about Mary really speaks to what I want to look at today. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. That's an important phrase. She pondered them in her heart. She kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now, when we talk about devotion, the key to devotion or certainly a, a foundational key to devotion is what is in our heart. Remember Monday I brought that quote about the joyful preoccupation with God? Mm -hmm. That has resonated with me a lot as I've thought through this the whole season. And reframing our perspective starts with a joyful preoccupation with God. But to reclaim our devotion also will happen 
or will be the result of that joyful preoccupation with God. And what you see with Mary here is that's exactly what's going on with her. Now, Mary has been preoccupied with God for quite some time. I mean, from the time it was announced to her that she's going to give birth to Jesus, you go back and you read, uh, how do we call it, the Magnificent? I think so. Mary's song, and uh, all that is just filling her heart. Her heart has been full of devotion to the Lord. But even, even now you see her... The night Jesus is born, and again, we picture her holding the baby. We picture the shepherds showing up, and they've come to see it, and they run out proclaiming to everybody. And Mary's observing all of this. Mary still has this greater, greater capacity in her heart to, to, to grow in devotion to God. I mean, look at, look at Mary, and you say, well, wow, I mean, she must have been the most devout person ever. Uh, and, and she was certainly a very devout person, but what I recognize about her is even as devout as she probably already was, there's still this growth of devotion in her life. Now, I want to go back and make the application to what this season offers us in terms of the opportunity to reclaim some of our own devotion and say that the reality is we sometimes lose level of levels of devotion. I don't know if I'm saying it the right way, but our devotion level can go down. We can become pulled away by a lot of things. But Christmas invites us into a a more rich and a more uh, meaningful or a more designated time to just focus on the message of Jesus coming and everything that the, the birth of Christ brought. And what it what it then requires of us, or rather, maybe ask of us, is a is a better term. I don't I don't know which one encapsulates it the right way, but by being beneficiaries of the gift of Jesus' coming, there is a level of of complete devotion that is expected of those of us who have received that much. Yeah, let me let me read this part too, because verse twenty one says, "And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child." His name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So just to highlight here a moment, not only do you see Mary making more room in her heart to ponder what she's experiencing and learning about God, God's love, God's plan of salvation, how lives are being changed. But here I see just the obedience of Joseph and Mary to just do the things that were required of God's Word. Mm -hmm. That, too, is a mark of devotion. In fact, something that I wrote down even this morning as I was thinking about some of this, I think a lot of what, I think what we need to get back to as Okay, let me, let me frame it this way. Have you ever intended to do good for God and failed? Yes. And tried again and failed? And yes. tried again and failed? Here's what I have observed. I, I think this is a key thing that's, that for me personally is something I'm, I'm needing to learn. I've tried to be a man of my word to God. And that sounds right, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we think of the honor, and Jesus even says, you know, let your yea be yea, your nay be nay, nay, be nay and all that. But it hit me this morning, I wrote this down, I need to be a man of the word. Because I think when I think in terms of I'm going to be a man of my word, God, I'm going to do better for you, I think that might be a little bit too much emphasis on what I can do. But when I become a man of the word, then I 
what I'm doing is I'm actually I'm actually reclaiming devotion to the power of Scripture to change me. And here's what came to my heart this morning. I get I went back. I mean, it just came to me James one. I, I'm going to turn there because I want to make sure I don't quote it the wrong way. But when James talks about he, he talks about dealing with temptation and all that, but it's after that that he brings this up. He says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and here's the phrase, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. That verse, that thought came back to me in my meditating on this this morning. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. And what it reminded me of is that the word is already in me. And see, if we put too much emphasis on ourselves or being men of our word or women of our word, like in other words, if I just take that phrase out of it and say, we just say, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. No, we're, we're, we're relying too much on what we can accomplish in ourselves. We mm-hmm. might mean it. We have every good intention. But when we receive with meekness the engrafted word, the word of God which has already been put in us, then it has the power to save our souls. Now, I, for whatever reason, this sounds controversial to people when I say it, but my soul needs to be saved. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm on my way to heaven. My soul still needs to be saved. James says it. He's talking to believers. The engrafted word, the word which has been implanted in you, is there to save your soul. Just take it. Just receive it. Just live by it. Yeah, because if I'm able to do better, then if I accomplish my goal, I'm the one that gets the credit. I'm the one that's like, yeah, sorry, good for me. I did what I set out to do. Even if what we set out to do was to live for and honor God, we're the ones that gets the credit and the accolade. But yielding to the engrafted word that is inside of us and allowing it to do the work in and through us is purely the work of the Holy Spirit, and so it is only God that gets the glory and the credit. He does the work, he gets the the glory, and we get to be partakers in being one that brought glory to God. And, you know, Sunday night in our prayer room with the men that were in the men's prayer room, we were talking about the power of God mm-hmm. okay, and what that really means. And it's actually pretty mind-blowing when you understand what God's power is supposed to be in our life. And the response is we look around and say, where is that power? And, again, I was thinking on that this morning. And I was thinking about my problem when I fail God is unbelief. Now, Jesus could not do many mighty works because of unbelief. You remember those passages in the Scripture that tell us that? And I got to thinking, well, what is my unbelief? Because I believe I believe the facts. Now, let me just say that. I, I believe it's true. I believe God is real. I believe the Word of God is true. I believe Jesus is the Savior of the world, and He's my Savior. But what I come to realize this morning My unbelief is not that I don't believe the facts. My unbelief is revealed in my inaction. Now think about that. We've said it many times that we believe something when we act as though that thing were true in our life. And so I think a lot of times my unbelief is my inaction, not following through with the word. Again, going back to James, and Mary and Joseph were doing it. They were obeying the word, and it was simple quote, I'll say, I'll put air quotes, it was simple what they had to do, but they were obeying the word. And James tells us, he says, don't be just hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And he compares it to looking into a mirror, and he says, when you look into a mirror and you walk away, you forget what you look like. 
which is a blessing in the natural world for folks like, well, I'll just speak for myself. Uh, but but he says, when you when you look in the Word of God, look at it like you were going to keep looking at it because like if you stayed in a mirror, the longer you look in the mirror, the more it reveals the things that need some adjustment, some fixing. And, and, and a mirror can't really change all that, and there's only so much you can do with a comb and a toothbrush and a, a washcloth. Maybe a little makeup now and then. You, not me. And uh, but when you look at the <laughs> sorry, when you look in the Word of God, James says you keep looking there because as you keep looking at it, that's what's going to transform you. He says, "Don't be a forgetful hearer, but be a doer." Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, whoever continues to gaze into that Word which sets you free, he says, and you continue therein. You'll not be a forgetful hearer, but you'll be a doer of the work, and that man will be blessed in what he's doing. So I don't know if all that made sense or if there's a way to bring it all together because we're out of time, and I didn't even get to Simeon and Anna, so we'll have to save them for another day. But I think uh, that this is a step in the process of how does Christmas help us do that? Christmas calls us to think about the Word of God. Mm-hmm. to think about the promises of God, to think about the message of salvation and redemption, and to think about the the promise of Jesus coming again. But then it's got to be more than theoretical. It's got to be more than the facts. What is it calling us to do? Devotion is more than emotion. It's got to also include action. Mm-hmm. So what is it calling us to do? As you think about your day-to-day and your week this week and I mean, what is, what, what is the Word calling you to do? Don't build your case on your Word. Build it on His Word. Do something with that and then close us out. No well, pressure. I, I'm just sitting here thinking and, and drawing connections and dots in my own life because that's been the theme that, that I've been on over the last couple of weeks. We focus so much on the gift of Jesus' coming and the awesomeness and how you can't really quantify that the Creator God came and became part of his creation, dwelt and abode with it. it it's, it's really an illogical thing. So a gift of that magnitude and then the offering of the kind of life that God calls us into does beg the question, what am I going to do with this gift that I've been given? How am I going to live my life differently as a recipient of the gift than what everybody else out there is doing? And that's the next level step that that we should be getting called to because it's not that it's not a superiority thing. It's just the reality. To whomsoever much is, has been given, much shall be required. This is awesome. It's it's actually it's encouraging. It's it's motivating, while also being intimidating. I think is a safe word to use. We should have a. I think we should feel a little bit of that. Because that means that means we're receiving it with meekness. Yeah, yeah. There, there's there's good pressure. Like, oh man, I I've been given. I don't want to. I don't want to squander this. I want to capitalize on this because this is this is great and fantastic. But having these kind of thoughts and these kind of discussions enables us really to springboard our prayer life. Lord, what are you calling me to today and tomorrow? So hopefully, this is something that'll do just that for our listeners. And maybe we can get to Simeon and Anna before the week's out on tomorrow. Have a wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you next time.
we thank you for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com.